0: the internet it's time for on comicsgrounds.com's flagship podcast panel to panel where a bunch of folks shoot the breeze and talk about comic books and such we are back once again once again to talk about comics that's that's the way we're gonna phrase that because normally we talk about comic news geek media everything in between but this is like we're gonna talk about comics today because the one thing that we have been able to pursue the most it recently is talking about indie comics when we can and helping out Kickstarters that are in need because they are a great story and a great thing to put out into the ether right now. And the one that we have here today is one that has caught me off guard and one that I'm definitely going to support whether we were going to cover this or not. I would probably would have found this somehow because the story is something right up my alley when it comes to history and family. The one thing we talked about in this episode that i loved was the the element of family so what what am i talking about obviously i need to get to that point um multi-ringo nominated writer editor letter erica schultz sat down with me this evening and we had an amazing conversation about star wars about her entire career and when it comes to different books she has written or worked on even covering a daredevil annual that really spoke to me when a couple years back when i really needed it because Dang Charles Soule you're a good writer But I needed a breath During your time on Daredevil One, Hopefully one time When he will listen to this podcast But in terms of what matters right now Erica Schultz you have Really touched me in a way that I really needed And this interview was probably One of my favorites and I hope that you guys Will give it a listen I hope you can support the Kickstarter for her new book coming out today on the day of us releasing this episode. Deadliest Bouquet is going to be launching on Kickstarter today, and hopefully you can support it in any way you can, whether it be a share or a tweet or even uh, putting some money behind it. I Hopefully you will support this book, get it the traction that it needs. We will have um, some links below to the Kickstarter to Erica's other work like her time on Forgotten Home that the other uh, book she had written for Comicsology Originals and hopefully you find some joy in this content. So hopefully you enjoy the interview and we will be on next week with a brand new episode where you folks turn the page with us on this episode of Panel to Panel. Peace out.
1: Yeah, I mean I'm I'm pretty chill about everything. So, you know, the only thing I really get sort of like riled up about is you know if if we start talking like Transformers or you know something oh. like that, or like you know, I I don't like
0: pre reboot like, IDW Transformers or like every, like Transformers in general.
1: Like Transformers in general, um, like I don't I don't acknowledge anything after the movie. That's fair. Um, I'm not like I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Like Ooh. I was born I was born June 1977, so like. My mother, I was in the theater during the first, you know, Star Wars. I was there for A New Hope before it even said A New Hope because remember that was the real
0: yeah.
1: movie. I was there, uh, so I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I'm not a big fan of the prequels and the. the oh, you
0: just broke my heart because my first one was Phantom Menace. That just broke my heart.
1: Seven, eight, and nine, I'm not really a big fan of them. I think the only new thing that they did. Uh, in the films, that was palatable was Rogue One. I thought Solo was meh.
0: See, everyone hates on. I'm like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll just record an intro separate from this. We'll, like, and I'll just like cut it in where we started talking like, I'm really enjoying this. Um... It's like Solo is one of those movies where I was glad similarly to Rogue One where it didn't feel like we needed to, to pull out a lightsaber where it felt like one of the novels I had read when I was younger from the extended universe where we were just having fun, smuggling stuff, having a good time. Like I loved that.
1: I, l- I liked Solo. Like I thought it was, I thought it was good and everything. But one thing that I really hated was, so in A New Hope, Han Solo has an an incredible redemption arc. He does. And then, no offense to George Lucas, I mean, it is his <laughs> own toys that he can continue to play with, but when he turned around and changed that to Greedo shooting first, oh. that killed me because what it did, from from a story aspect, and, you know, it diminished his redemption arc,
0: can it's I give a, you a recommendation um for a book that might help you fix that opinion a little bit? Sure. Um Star Wars Last Shot by Daniel Jose Alder and it came out a, about a year or two ago and it's it came out right when um Solo was coming out as like a, like a companion piece, but it was its own thing that half like a third of the book was after episode 6 and like the aftermath novels. And a third of it's during the time where Han and um, Lando are younger, around the time like that, that Solo was about to happen, or after it's already happened. And it's really interesting to see how Han is existing after Episode Six in the new canon. And I think it might help you out a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'll try. I'll look at it. I'll look at it. I can't, I'm, I'm kind of a, an old curmudgeon, so I can't make, I can't guarantee that I will, but I will, yeah. I will guarantee that I will look it up.
0: That's fair. Now, if there's anything Star Wars that I will ever pitch somebody, it's the Thrawn novels because Timothy Zahn is the holier than thou person in all of Star Wars where I thought
1: that was Dave Filoni.
0: See, here's the thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm the controversial one where there, there's a hierarchy where it's George, then T- then Timothy Zahn, then Dave Filoni, because D- D- George chose dave to sort of be the dick grayson of the team where like he is the one that got the mantle but timothy zahn is more of the tim drake the one who studied fully without having to be given anything he like like because he had thrawn in the extended universe and played in all the toolbox and everything before everything happened then disney was like wow your character was so impactful back then how would you like to bring him back into canon and zahn said you know what All right, cool. Let's start back from the beginning, and he rebuilt Thrawn in the most powerful way. Extended him into the Clone Wars and back before Episode One, and like like the current stuff he's working on right now, Thrawn Ascendancy, is just nuts. And it feels like the like imperialistic, um, spy thriller type stuff we had wanted from that Empire era. So like, I remember um the second novel um. not, not not treason or Thrawn Alliances, where half the book is Thrawn and Vader, but the other half is Thrawn and Anakin during the Clone Wars. And the entire time during the Vader sections, Vader can't say nothing to Palpatine about um um him knowing Thrawn from before. Otherwise everything everything's gonna bust out loose and everything's gonna go to crap. So it's it's so interesting to see the parallels of their relationship unfold.
1: Okay. Yeah. You're excited. That's good.
0: I'm sorry. It's like, like, like you said, Star Wars is my, is my home, so, like, I, I, got, I, got, I got real comfy real quick. I'm <clears throat> sorry.
1: Know, that's, that's, that's fine. I mean, like, I've I've always had a very soft spot for, like, all kinds of sci-fi, Star Wars, original Star Trek. Uh, we used to watch Flash Gordon when we were kids all the time. Nice. Um, like, the, the old, you know, serials on, you know, PBS or... Yeah. Um, that kind of thing you know i would say tom baker and peter davison are my doctors um
0: that's
1: fair. i watched the end of john pertwee's run and then all of tom baker all of peter davison and no offense to colin baker but i could not stand it like <laughs> i was like i'm done but i'm like i'm gonna be the first person to admit this i'm kind of like a traditionalist i'm kind of you know i'm kind of curmudgeon that way
0: understandable but,
1: but, you know, I, I've, I've been, you know, I'm very comfortable in my Gen X. I hate everything skin. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's fine. I, I, I feel like because of me born, being born in 95, I feel like I'm stuck between two eras of, like, the past generation and the millennials where everyone's hip to the new trends and whatnot. I'm just like, you kids and your nonsense. I'm going to just go over here and sip my Diet Coke in the corner and just read my comics. It's okay. You, you do you. It's fine.
1: Well, I mean, when if you were born in 95, I was starting college in 95, so. Wow, that's
0: awesome.
1: Yeah. Um, but it's funny because it's like, you know, we've... It's, it's interesting to see how other people watch the same films. Mm-hmm. And even if they watch it at the same age, it's interesting because the environment that they're in is different you know like the societal environment is different you know like 77 78 like there was a lot of interesting shit going on uh excuse me I, i'm no, sorry
0: no no you can cuss here it's fine all right i'm just you, you, you feel at home feel at home
1: okay okay i just i, I you know it's like sometimes people are like <gasps> and that's like all right well, we, you just,
0: we, we have been just called easy. the drunk college girl of comic podcasts so you, you're right at home
1: well as a sorority girl i'll take that <laughs> um go delta gamma Yes. So um so I find it interesting, you know, um when I talk to people and they're like, Oh yeah, well, you know, I, I watched Star Wars when I was a kid and this and the next thing and then they're like, you know, yeah, and I was born in, you know, like nineteen ninety two. So it's interesting that they're watching the same film but the but everything around them has changed.
0: Yeah.
1: You know? And I think that certain things in certain time periods, you know, really, you know, and this is a, kinda like the purest in me. Like you think about Jaws, all right? Nineteen seventy I believe it was 1974, 1975. Yes. So when you watch Jaws, like now you watch Jaws, you're like, that's ridiculous. I see the hinge in the <laughs> in the um, in the fake shark and this, mm-hmm. that, and the next thing. But when you watch Jaws in nineteen eighty one on It was CD- revolutionary. Not only was it revolutionary, it scared the living hell out of you. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and obviously, you know, back then you had no concept of what film could be in terms of CGI and photorealism and, and, you know, where we are now. But you watch it back then and you're like, holy Jesus, God. But I can still go back and watch it now, and it still scares the bejesus out of me.
0: Almost definitely, I remember recently I went back and watched um, some of the earlier Freddy movies, and while they don't scare me the way they did when I was a kid, there's still those few scenes where I'm like, "Wow, I really got." I remember watching uh, Freddy Part Five where they're just stuffing the girl full of food and she's just dying. And I'm like, wow, I am having nightmares of this as a child. And now I've just become immune to horror. It's it's very strange because I'll, I'll be sitting in theater cracking up, watching people run from the killer. And back then I was petrified.
1: Well, I mean, that's like that 36 Chambers of Death uh, track where they talk about uh, from Wu-Tang.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, just... oh, you know, you're Wu-Tang. Oh. I, 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 this is going to be a good time. I'm, I'm in. Oh, yes.
1: You know what I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. Just keep feeding you and feeding you and yes. feeding you. That's what I I was referring to.
0: Yes, but it's still it's still nice that you 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 have context for certain things. It's nice. Well, you want me to bust
1: out Onyx too?
0: I mean, come <laughs> on. so I, I, let's dive in a little bit because it's funny. I I started doing my research Friday. And, and and like trying to get back into the flow of things, and then I I, I forgot about what was going on because I knew Mary wasn't going to be here. That's why things happened. But um, I had looked through your bibliography, and I literally had read something of yours and never knew which um, one. Your Daredevil Annual. Mm-hmm. Be- because it was right when I was getting back into comics, um, like when I started collecting again, and I was so on Soul, I was like, "Yo, I need to read everything Charles Soul." Like his Daredevil spoke to me in a, like a really big way. Like I didn't even want to watch the Netflix show. All I needed was Charles Soul. And then right before Marvel Legacy, your annual just slid into my pool box. And it was such this breath of fresh air after all the stuff that Soul had done with with, with, with the crazy blood killer and everything. And, like, re, re and fixing, yeah, and refixing Matt's identity. And then you just come in like, yo, let's talk about, like, an old, like, prequel piece about Misty and Matt and, the, and this random partner of Misty's. I'm like, yo, I love this. And it, it, it's still sitting in my long box because you gave me that refresher that not everybody knows to put in somewhere before stuff starts popping off again
1: well i mean when i was approached to do it i was just asked like you know and and this can happen sometimes to writers you can kind of get um get typecast so i had been i had written a lot of crime fiction
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i was kind of typecast as that so they said you know oh we kind of want to get back to basics with misty and the set and the next thing and i had pitched a daughter a daughters of the dragon in space <laughs> where like Misty and Colleen were basically—they, um, I mean, when you think of them as characters, they're street-level characters. So how do you how do you bring them out of their comfort zone? Is you put them in space, you put them in a place that they are gonna feel completely uncomfortable, and that's where you know you're gonna get drama and humor and all kinds of stuff. You know, kind of fish out of water. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had this idea of basically like these intergalactic bail jumpers, because, you know, in Daughters of the Dragon, there was one point where they were basically getting bail jumpers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, so I figured, you know, sword, Abigail brand, and sword would come That'd and be so cool um, basically say, like, look, you're the best in, in on this planet in the galaxy. We need you to get some people. And then we could do cool little, like, a long, you know the, the long arc is them finding this one person, but we could do like cameos by like Noran and Beta Ray Bill and you know all these cosmic characters and just start you know throwing ca- you know Gladiator and start throwing cameos and even the Shi'ar maybe.
0: That sounds like the pitch that we need right now, because I keep saying over and over again that it feels like no one knows who's driving the bus at Marvel right now, because you had all of the comics gators trying to cause drama while they were trying to move into the next generation, and now they're just like, we don't know what to do other than what we did for 20 years and 60 years, and it just... And then you got Jason Aaron just doing everything now and like they're just giving him full reign like they did Bendis. And I'm just sitting over here like, Can I can I get like a status quo for five minutes, please? And it's just like so like a book like that would be a fresh take on characters that we really need right now.
1: Well, you know, Marvel has my number, so <laughs>
0: Hey, Like for real, because I like I've been looking at some of your work and I was already uh, reading some stuff and Mary like, no, she wasn't able to be here. She had read your forgotten home series. And it seems like, like, like you said, you love your intergalactic type stuff, but you also love your mysticism and especially some stuff you have going on. I I want to know what is your origin beyond just like this, like the, the sci-fi part of you, like what made you want to get into comics? Cause I always tell people like creators when they come on here, you have to give me like your issue zero. Like what made you pick up your first book? So to speak.
1: Um, I, I was a bratty little sister who would steal whatever my brother came home with.
0: Oh, fair enough. So
1: nice. I, you know, I used to read his comics, and I I've always loved storytelling, visual storytelling. You know, television, film, comics, uh, things like that. When I first got out of college, I started working in an ad agency, and I was doing storyboards. Um, I I worked as a copywriter, art director, and I was doing storyboards. And I mean, yeah, it was commercials, but it was still visual storytelling. Of course. Um. And then after that, um, you know, when everybody got laid off in 2007, 2008, um, I went and I uh, got a job at an art studio and I was doing, uh, you know, Photoshop art and uh, we were working in uh, we were working on the Astonishing X-Men motion comic Gifted. Oh. So I was doing, you know, background art for that and um, and I was uh, doing some animation for that and i did the lip sync animation for that uh six issue series that we did and then i stayed at the studio because originally i'd come on as a freelancer for you know that project but i ended up staying for almost eight years wow. you know it's like you 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 know sign on for three months and you stay for you know eight years and uh throughout that period i was uh do, working on all kinds of stuff um i was working on background art and inking and um, you know, uh uh, color assists and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um and I I knew you know, I always enjoyed comics, I always enjoyed storytelling and, you know, like a lot of writers, you sort of have notebooks and notebooks filled with story ideas or, you know, half written short stories. And I thought, Okay, well, you know, I I don't know what to do with these. Why not, you know, take a take a leap and try uh, adapting to a comic. So I took the story M3 that I had and, um, I, uh, adapted to a comic strip, to a comic script script. And because I was working, um, at the studio and we were working on comics, I was being exposed to what comic scripts were formatted like and such. And one of the art- other artists in the studio, a man by the name of Vicente Alcazar who's worked on Moon Knight and Conan and
0: mm-hmm. Jonah
1: Hex and, you know, all these fantastic characters, um, I had written a couple of scripts for M3, which was the first comic that I did, and I sent, I gave him the first script, um, and he read it. You know, took a couple of days and read it, and he came back and he's like, "I really like this. We should do this." So we ended up doing um, 12 issues of M3. Um, we put it out on our own uh, over about four years, but even in that time period we had gotten commissioned as a team to uh, work on a few projects together because we really worked well together. Um, and yeah, and, and that really, you know, I really got the bug from that. And then after M3 came out, I had gotten my first uh, job at Marvel, which was doing a an original graphic novel for uh, a TV show called Revenge. And it was the...
0: Um, I feel like I've heard of that before.
1: Yeah, it was a show that was on ABC for from like twenty twelve or twenty thirteen until like twenty fifteen. Okay. And I had uh, written the original graphic novel, which was the prequel to the first season. Um, and I and it was an interesting experience because I I had a, an editor at Marvel, but then I also was working with the producers from the TV show.
0: Yeah, what is that like? Because I always wonder with prequel novels like i've seen some of the ones they do for them like for the mcu films that they, they sort of tuck like prequel comics into what is that like being given the bible for something that you have no idea never heard of this world before and they're letting you tell the original story but they're giving you sort of like the bullet points you need to hit
1: um it, it was interesting because you know whenever you're working on something that's like a licensed comic mm-hmm.
0: um
1: you 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 know, you're playing with other people's toys and there are rules that you have to, you know, abide by and certain things. Um, The other thing is that because it was ABC and Marvel, uh, I kind of had, you know, two bosses on it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And, and it was, it was a bit of a balancing act because uh, there were times that I would get contradictory edits and, you know, my brain's like, all right, well, technically these are abc characters but my paycheck is coming from marvel so who do i listen to kind of thing um but it is i mean it's it's an interesting exercise and it's i think you know as pleasant or unpleasant as it is i mean it was a pretty neutral you know all things considered it it washed out of course but um but it was a good exercise to have because if you want to work in comics professionally and you want to work in licensed work, which is basically where you're going to get paid to do it. Yeah. Um, you're going to have to learn to make concessions. You're going to have to learn to that you are an employee, not an employee, excuse me, but you you are working with someone else's stuff. Um, and unless you get to that, like, top, top, top tier, like you were saying, like Bendis, Aaron, you know, DeConic, you can't really dictate things. You know, um, I teach at the Hubert school and that's one of the things that I tell the students, you know, when you graduate, you're, you you know, you're at the top now of the school, but when you graduate, you're at the, you're on a whole new ladder.
0: It's a whole other ball game,
1: you know, and you gotta, you know, you've reached the top of this mountain. Well, then you've got another mountain you got to start at the bottom of, you know, and that's just, I mean, that that's life, you know, graduating high school. High school, going to college, mm. or graduating college and going to the job force—you know, I mean that's that's literally life is just sort of a a, a continuous stream of mountains that you have to climb, um, and you know, just that's just put one foot in front of the other. Um, so I I had this you know I, I had to sort of deal with who do I listen to, um, how much weight do I give each of these edits kind of thing. Um, And I've always been the type of person where, you know, you, you want me to make this change. Okay. I'll make this change, but I want to understand why.
0: That would totally be me in that situation. So I, I definitely sympathize there,
1: but not in like an antagonistic way, like not in like a defensive way, but like, okay, I get it. So what is the reason why you want this change? You know, I mean, I'm I'm not like oh, I'm not changing it or anything like that, but it's like okay, so you want context? Yeah, I want context. Um, just because I I like seeing the big picture, and and sometimes the the answer was as simple as well. We're in the middle of writing this season, and some of the stuff that you came up with, we've already written into the season you know we came very, you came very close to something that we've already written into the season so we can't use it in the book because it's already in the season it sounds like they yeah. should have
0: just put you on the payroll and have help you help, help the <laughs> series
1: from your lips to god's ears <laughs> and uh and so you know but i just i mean it's just like i just i just need to know why um so, so yeah, so that was an interesting back and forth, but it did, you know, it, but it did prepare me to working with licensors because when I worked on charmed or when I worked on Xena or, you know, anything else like that, I mean, you, you, I had to deal with the other licensors, you know, I mean, dynamite is almost like a conduit between
0: yeah, they the, do a lot.
1: between, you know, like paramount or, or CBS or whatever. Um, And so it was, it was good to sort of get that practice. Um, but yeah, I mean, after, after I did, uh, revenge, then I started getting some dynamite work. Uh, Gail Simone brought me in on a, on a big crossover series called Swords of Sorrow and I worked on that. And then, um, I was actually, um, I was approached by DC comics and Scott Snyder to be part of the first, uh, DC talent showcase, uh, DC talent, uh, workshop. Yeah. Um, And it was interesting because we were part of the pilot program. So um, we were actually chosen by DC. We didn't even know it existed. And then after we went through the program, I was in it with uh, Emma Beebe and Vita Ayala, uh, Chris Sabella, Joel Jones, um, Matt Rosenberg. I'm trying to think who else. There was like 10 or 12 of us there. Uh, Henna Khan was in there too. Um, And what happened was, after we went through the program, they basically said, Okay, anybody who wants to be part of the program now has to apply. So people were coming to me and being like, Oh, how'd you get in? How'd you get in? I'm like, they literally called me on the way home from work one day. Oh, wow. And it was like and I didn't say that, you know, to be like, you know, like, well, huh huh. You know, I was like, no, that was really the train.
0: You, you <laughs> the just got home. the lucky chance of a lifetime. Yeah, exactly.
1: Though. Like I got I got a phone call on the train on the way home from work one day. Um, so i mean and it was a i mean it was a it was a good 13 14 weeks um every week and we had you know it was a two two and a half hour class and we had tons of homework and it was i mean it was i won't say it was a graduate level class because i never went to graduate school so i don't really have a comparison but i mean it was it was like a college level class in in the sense of like you know workload and everything um so it was a hell of a lot of work um but, but it was a, you know, it was an experience that I definitely, you know, has helped a good deal. Um, obviously got my con, you know, was able to get more contacts from it. Uh, I got to work with Sonny Lou on an eight page hot girl story. And I, I I love hot girl. I mean, so that was dream come true. Um, there's apparently a, a, a big cabal of hot girl fans in Yes Brazil, there is. There America, really is. That wa- that every once in a while will start tagging me in tweets about me writing a hot girl series and I'm like DC has my number like right. every yeah. they- They've got my number. Like I remember
0: when the big like <laughs> 80th or 75th anniversary for yes. Hawkman came around, they're like, "Yo, let's just tag Hawkgirl onto it." I'm like, "No, no, no, no! You you gotta do her justice because well, she's she, been didn't get, for so she didn't
1: get she didn't get an 80th. She didn't 80th was last year. She didn't get an 80th anniversary like everybody else. Yeah. Green, Green Lantern got theirs. Wonder Woman got theirs. Batman, Superman. She she does. I know Shire deserved it. But, you know, hey, what can you do? I just I mean, I've got two beautiful pieces, two beautiful pages from uh, from Sonny that I have framed in my studio. So, you know, whenever whenever I, I get down, I just say, you know what? There's a bucket list right there.
0: Right. And I remember when Snyder brought her back into canon during metal and i was just on top of the moon because he just went on twitter and was just like what what team do you guys want and everyone like can like as a group just said we want the animated series the dwayne mcduffie team and he was like all right cool i'm gonna push kendra back into canon we're gonna bring her back and start doing right by her and even now they just sort of kept her on with bendis now and i'm just i'm so happy to see her back because she deserves to be a part of this pantheon
1: yeah, and it's you know, I I really enjoyed um, Shaira Hall from uh, from the Justice League cartoon show, and I really enjoyed seeing the way she was on her own. Like she didn't need Carter, she didn't need the Thanagarians. Yes. She was her own person. And I thought that that was really great. And that was very empowering. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted to do with that story. Um, cause even though they only published eight pages, I mean, I had written three issues of a five issue series who were already oh, wow. completely written. Yeah. Um, so I had had a plan for it. I really did. And I, I and you know, uh, the hope was that we would be able to get you know to sort of have that come to fruition. Um, you know, unfortunately that didn't happen, but you know, life happens. It's no
0: it does like they have your number. We we can get back to it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm 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 happily I'll happily pick it up anytime.
0: Excellent. So, I uh, the, the metaphor you used early really, like earlier really stuck with me. The whole like different mountains and whatnot. And The mountains that I see among the comic book landscape, like where DC's one mountain, Marvel's here, Image, Dynamite, what have you, it seems like you find yourself more comfortable in the valley. You seem like you're more in your comfort zone with your own toolbox, your own toy box, and one thing that I've talked to with a couple of different indie creators is the freedom you have to tell new and inventive stories. And I, I before we dig into the book itself, what is it like with like, like with um, Comicsology originals or different stories that you've done where you get to have your own free reign to do things like that?
1: Um, It's, it's a good, and it's a bad, to be honest. Um, what, you know, what, Orson Welles once said, The enemy of art is the absence of limitation. You know, yeah. so when you're working on licensed work, um, yes, you're working with somebody else's toys, but you already have parameters that are already in place for you. So part of the work for you has already been done. You know, um, even if you're taking these characters outside of their comfort zone, like we, you know, we, we talked briefly about like Daughters of the Dragon in space kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, even taking those characters outside of their comfort zone by putting them in this new environment. Um, we still know Colleen. We still know Misty. Uh, we still know Beta Ray and, and whomever they would, they would be interacting with those, those characters already have their personality. So you don't, you don't have to change that. So that part of that work is already done for you. Mm hmm. When you're working on creator-owned work and you are creating something 100% yours, uh, there's a lot that goes into it. And there's a lot of work that goes into it. And I used to joke about how I only wanted to write crime fiction that took place in the real world because I didn't want to have to deal with world building. (laughs) Um, And, you know... (laughs) you know, that, that became old pretty quickly. And I like challenges. So I ended up doing more and more things, um, and forgotten home, which I had to create an entire parallel universe that has its own rules. Uh, I created a, this whole, you know, hierarchy society and everything. And it, it took a on and off working on and off for like a good three years, You know, so I mean, I I love working in creator owned simply because, you know, no one can tell me what's right or wrong or nobody can tell me what a character will or won't do because they're coming from my head. At the Mm -hmm. same time, everything is on, you know, I mean, the artist obviously is interpreting the scripts, but, you know, coming up with a lot of these ideas and, and building this world and everything, it's pretty much all on me. So the pressure is is pretty, pretty high there um, Forgotten Home is probably one of the most, um, ambitious pieces that I did because even with M3 or 12 Devils Dancing, um, they, they were both crime thrillers that I did. Uh, 12 Devils is, is closer to, to more horror. It's got more body horror and it's, it's more of an adult story because it has, you know, it, it has some nudity in it and things like that. Um, whereas M3, I would say, is more like PG-13. I would say mm-hmm. 12 Devils is definitely R. Um, even in those realms, you know, dealing with characters and stuff like that, I mean, that still took place. You know, gravity still existed. You know, you drop a pen, it's going to fall to the floor kind of thing. So, you know, the, the characters and the circumstances that they were in were created, but the world that they lived in, I didn't have to create. I literally look out my window and there it is.
0: Versus with Where Forgotten I, Home, it's like you have to re- like, like take over and create everything from scratch.
1: First of all, I've never been to Montana in my entire life. <laughs> That's the first thing. And the, and the entire first issue of Forgotten Home takes place in Montana. I've never been to Montana. I'm the first person to admit that. Never traveled to Montana in my life. Interesting. Uh, same, same thing with 12 Devils Dancing. Never went to Las Vegas. Ever, Did never it, like, been, is never on, been like, to bucket
0: list
1: No, it's not even something on my bucket list. But I had to delve and research. You know, um, I would literally scour Google Earth for all kinds of things, um, and you know, I'm I'm very reference heavy in my scripts not as an edict for my artists, but more as an inspiration also because I know that they do a lot of heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. So if I can give them something to at least spark them, as opposed to them sort of having to start from scratch all the time, um, it helps. But yeah, I mean, Forgotten Home, I had to create the the idea of this entire world and the rules by which the world, you know, the rules of this magical world and, you know, how there were some people who would have magic their entire lives, the Royal family. And then, you know, other sort of lay people would be, would have magic from the ages of like six or seven until about 17, 18. But after that, they're just regular people. They're not magical anymore. And, you know, at, you know, as a character f- dealing with that, and then you have a ca- the character of Trudeau, who who um, is is a Hamel, who is basically, uh, which is a, I, I learned how to pronounce it pr- uh, correctly. I was pronouncing it Camille because it's spelled with a K, mm-hmm. but it's uh, actually um, pronounced Hamel, I believe, oh, and it goodness. means inert in um, in uh, 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 Arabic and he never had magic so even when he was a child when everybody else had magic he never had magic so you know how does that like weigh on him you know as as a as a person as a character and 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 how does it weigh on the you know the queen and and everybody you know i mean so so starting from scratch is oh, it's a bitch it's really <laughs> you know it's incredibly rewarding it really is but sometimes when you're in the thick of it you're like god what have i gotten myself into
0: like like um, you sort of put yourself in the middle of this giant canvas and don't yeah. really know how to get out of it
1: yeah well you you know there you, you always have to find a way to paint yourself out of the corner you always have to find a way to get your you know it's like when you when you paint yourself in a corner is when you turn into spider-man it's you got to crawl up the walls but you got to find a plausible way of doing that so yeah it's but, you know, we were nominated for five Ringo Awards. Yeah,
0: time. that was – I saw <laughs> that, and I was like, so, wow. And, like, for those who haven't really, like, like looked at – because I know comicsology Originals, like, people find them, but I know not every comic shop goer finds it. So, like, can you give people an elevator pitch for it? That way I, I can link it and, like, help get more people to look at it.
1: Um. Okay, so the elevator pitch for Forgotten Home is um, – A uh, sheriff's deputy in Montana starts um, investigating child abductions and um, really gets involved when her own teenage daughter and teenage daughter's best friend are kidnapped, are part of this abduction. When she follows the clues, she finds out that uh, her old home You know, then you learn that she's basically a refugee princess from a magical land called Janata, and uh, people from her home world are stealing children from Earth. So there's, like, magical child army, um, refugee princess who doesn't want to take the throne, evil queen. um, Like, when you read the first issue, you're like, oh, it's a cop, and, you know, they're you know, trying to track down all these children. And then all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, her hands are glowing. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is going you, on? You like lure
0: them into a false sense of security. And then you just jump in and make everything nuts. And I love that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, the reason why I say it was a bit of an undertaking was because the, the story arc is actually eight issues for the full story arc. And when we, when we took it to a couple of publishers, a lot of publishers said, we love it. We want it to be five issues. And I could have made it five issues. I could have written it as five issues. I don't think it would have been as rich of story. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I wouldn't have been able to have spent enough time with the characters as I wanted to. So when we went to Comixology Originals, um, we got the same thing as everybody else of, you know, we'd really like it to be five issues. And I said, OK, I understand that. But. And I understand why, because, you know, it's a nice, easy package for a trade paperback. Like, I get the reasoning behind it. But let me just plead my case. You know, we have these very complex characters. We're not just dealing with magic and this and that and the next thing. We're dealing with loss. We're dealing with grief. We're dealing with loss of loved ones. We're dealing with loss of identity. Uh, We're dealing with finding your identity and things like that. and, and you know, this idea of the main character, Lorraine, who's the refugee princess, you know, she left what you would have thought would have been everything. Like magic, riches, literally royalty. She walked out on all of that.
0: But she wanted simplicity.
1: She wanted simplicity She because all of that means expectations. Mm. Um, she was her... From the day she was born, she was destined to lead the army in war. She didn't want to do that. But the irony of it is that she flees to our land. She flees to Earth from her world. And she's lost here. And the only thing that she knows how to do is be a soldier. So she joins our army. So there's this one scene with her daughter, because there's a lot of resentment between her and her daughter. And then we need to talk about the book that I'm actually hawking in a second. Oh, oh yeah, no. Like, I wasn't going
0: <laughs> to translate. So, like, loss and grief, let's move over here. I wouldn't I would let you exactly. finish your thought.
1: <laughs> but um, so there's actually a back and forth between her daughter who resents, uh, you know, Lorraine. Uh, Joanna resents Lorraine because when Joanna goes back to Janata, which is, you know, the home world, she says, you know, I always felt like a freak. But here, I feel whole. Here, I feel like I'm home. And you kept this from me. So there's this resentment. And when Lorraine says, you know, like, I, I didn't want to be a soldier. And she says, well, but that's exactly what you were. You know, so you ran away to escape something. But like you, and all did, you anyway. did And you did it anyway. You know, like, it doesn't matter whether you're wearing Jannadan armor or you're wearing U.S. Army armor. It's the same thing. Thing. You did this. You made the same mistake, mom. And it comes into this whole thing about like this fallacy of when we're when we're teenagers and when we're children, we think that our parents are infallible and uh, our parents are not infallible. Our parents are absolute human beings. But at the age, at that age, you can't see that. Mm-hmm. It's all you see is, well, they're telling me what to do and I think they're wrong, but I can't prove it because they're mom and dad and mom and dad know everything, exactly. you know um so there's a lot of resentment and everything i i'm very proud of the book i'm incredibly proud of the team
0: honestly Ooh. mary was like telling me when i told her that we were doing this interview she was like you need you need to get her to talk about this book i'm like i had never heard of this i had uh, done some other comicsology originals like w- with joe glass and whatnot but then th- this one just fled under my radar and now i have to buy this because this sounds amazing
1: yeah so if you go it's a there is a bitly link you know bit.ly uh, slash Forgotten Home.
0: Mm-hmm. It'll
1: take you directly to the Comicsology.
0: Almost, I have it pulled up right here. I'm going to link it in the, in the description because I, I definitely am going to pick this up tonight because I, I need something new to read. So thank you for that. So you're very welcome. In terms of loss and grief, let's translate to yes. what you are, you, you are here to talk about. The thing Copy
1: my is, rares
0: exactly, exactly. Like I, I will, like I'm definitely going to premiere this tomorrow when the Kickstarter goes live. But, um, deadliest bouquet. This. Um like story. I remember when your editor sent me the like the, the summary of this and I was like, Oh, this is like that really good story that could go really dark really fast and I really wanna <laughs> see where this goes cuz yeah. like the idea of this like assassin type person who's hunted down nazis and then leaving her daughters to like not really worry about that until it bites her in the ass it 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 leaves a lot of room to do some really cool things.
1: Yeah, so the the logline for this story is uh in 1998 three estranged sisters trained by their nazi hunting, mo- hunting mother come together to solve their mother's murder and try not to kill each other in the process.
0: I, I got to start um, with, like, what made you want to tell this kind of story?
1: So um this this is another story that's been kicking around in my head for a while. Um, and the stories that you're going to see me coming out with over the next, I would say, 18 months to two years are a lot of stories that have been around for a good three to five years, and I've just been slowly developing them. Okay. And um, so I was on the phone with uh, Liana Kangas, who's a creator and artist, and um, I, I just sort of blurted out this idea of like, you know, assassins and, um, you know, like, you know, wouldn't it be kind of cool to do a story in the 90s and like, you know, maybe with like, these like three girls that are trained by their mom to be kind of like black widow kind of esque characters, but their mom dies and they're sort of all, you know, trying to figure out what happened. Like, is it somebody from mom's past? Is it a random accident? The mother, the family runs a flower shop Mm -hmm. and this all happens around Valentine's day. And one of the theories that the cops are saying is like, wow, Valentine's day, you know, flower shops got a lot of money around Valentine's day. Maybe this was robbery gone wrong. Or was it a robbery gone wrong? Or was it somebody who Jasmine had, uh, you know, done an assassination on? Is it, is it a revenge killing for an assassination? Is it, you know, this local biker gang that's been hitting up a bunch of the shops on the main drag uh, for extortion money? You know, like there's, there's all these little, you know, everybody has a theory. And basically you've got these three sisters who, um, are dealing with not only the death of their mother, but they're also dealing with their relationship to their mom and their relationship to each other. And, um, they had a very complex relationship with their mom. You know, their mom trained them to, to, to learn, to kill people. And, you know, each one of them dealt with that in a different way. Mm. So the oldest sister Rose felt like, okay, this is a responsibility that I'm taking on and I, I have to be the leader. I'm the oldest, I have to be the leader. I have to keep my my two younger sisters in line. The middle sister Poppy was very reluctant about all of this. She would train exactly how her mom taught her to train, but she didn't like it. She, this wasn't something that she reveled in. This isn't something, she didn't look at it as like, oh, look at this cool new skill. It was, you know, why can't I talk to my friends about this stuff? You know, and, you know, there's family secrets and all this other stuff. And Poppy always felt really resentful of that. And then Violet is just a pure sociopath. Violet revels in the training and thinks that this is like the coolest stuff ever. But, I mean, what we end up seeing is we end up seeing a different side to all of them. So, you know... Poppy ends up leaving and getting married and having her own family and moving to the other side of the country, moves to California. The story takes place in Jersey and moves to California and keeps her, you know, her mom and her sisters at arm's length. So her husband knows that she came from a dysfunctional family. He has absolutely no idea the depths to which this goes.
0: Ooh, that's going to be fun.
1: Um, and she Now that she's back home, she's got to play keep away. So not only does she have to be an integral part of figuring out what happened to her mom, uh, you know, and and be there for her sisters. But on top of this, she's got, you know, her husband calling all the time and bringing the kids over. And, you know, she's trying she's pushing them away in her mind to protect them. But, you know, at the same time, you you know, as the husband, you got to kind of wonder. And the kids are always like, well, why isn't mommy here?
0: Yeah.
1: You know, why are we staying in a hotel when mommy's cross town kind of thing?
0: I'm noticing so many parallels to different like, media sources, but I'm just I love how this could either go just very straightforward or we could dive into Nazi conspiracy theories. And I'm like, I, 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 I want to hope that you're going to give me a little bit of that with this.
1: Well, this is the thing. So, originally, this was supposed to be three story arcs. Okay. So, originally, it was supposed to be... Uh, the the three sisters, it was supposed to start with their grandparents, Dahlia and Leif. And they were part of the French Resistance in World War II. And Dahlia and Leif, after the war ended, um, then they created a group with some French Resistance fighters that were then going to travel the world and find any Nazis that... Um, that escaped Germany. So they have Jasmine and Chris and they train Jasmine and Chris uh, along with, you know, these rest of these sort of ex French resistance fighters. So the first arc was took place in world war two and sort of led up to the end of the war and having Jasmine and Chris and starting Jasmine and Chris's training. The second arc was going to be Jasmine and Chris going on missions together Um, and, uh, you know, uh, um, basically taking all the skills that their parents taught them and doing all this stuff, um, and then Chris dying and Jasmine being taking that to heart and basically running away. And that was going to be, you know, runs to America and meets this guy and gets married. And that was going to be sort of the end of the second arc. And then the third arc was going to be what happens, what this is, really, which is, you know, Jasmine's married, she has these three daughters, there's a tragedy that happens, uh, and Jasmine decides that it's time that her children, her her daughters learn as she learned.
0: So what made you not do the previous uh, two arcs and to sort of jump to, like, the end of the third arc?
1: Um, basically, I had started and stopped this story multiple times, and it wasn't really until i brought james emmett in the editor uh that i really found the through line because every time i tried to start the story um i would go too far down the path and it was turning into it was turn, it was getting too long it was um I, I was sort of losing the the real core of the plot okay and um so what I did was when I brought James in and James and I had worked together before, um, I brought him in and I said, look, you know, I, I have half written scripts and I've tackled it from different angles. I've tackled each arc. Um, there was a whole uh, subplot that I had with, um, the next door neighbor of the girls, uh, growing up was a, uh, was a Holocaust survivor who knew Jasmine from, you know, uh, from New Jasmine's parents, rather, from World War II, and so there was, like, a weird, like, sort of life debt that was there. It was an interesting thread, but it was, it was getting too far off the rails. Um, now, mind you, everything that I have, I still have written out. It's mm-hmm. just not going to make it in the final cut kind of thing. Um, and if the Kickstarter does really well, then maybe I'll be able to have the funds to say, okay, you know what, we are going to do these other arcs. Yes. Um, so yes, yeah, so pledge to that Kickstarter.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely.
1: So I gave James, you know, all all the different sort of half-written scripts, and I said, you know, I've tackled it from from multiple different angles, and I and I and I keep getting in the weeds. So he took everything and he read everything and he said, okay, take this from this and that from that and that from the next thing. And he said, look, what you need to do is you need to focus on one story. And I think the strongest of these stories that you have is the story of these three sisters dealing with the loss of their mom. Now, through flashbacks, you then touch on World War II, Jasmine's training, Jasmine training the girls and all that other stuff. And you get that information in there
0: sort of tease people for what could be later on
1: well not only that but gives it more context and and gives the story a little more richness but you don't go down the rabbit hole like you're not going page upon page upon page of flashbacks you're doing two panels here one panel there you know kind of thing to give to give more context to to, to anchor the, the the past these women's pasts a little more but Not going crazy. So yes, we will see Dahlia killing Nazis. And we will see Jasmine and Chris kicking ass. Um, But we're not going to go crazy down the rabbit hole with that. Um, Because we want to focus on these three women and like I said if the Kickstarter does really well and there's an interest in it I will happily go back and work on the other two arcs I really would because now I think that this one is fleshed out I'll have an easier time of knowing where to go with the other two mm-hmm. I think that's that's the one thing with you know that's one of the things with you know creating stuff on your own is sometimes there's so many possibilities that it's really hard to focus
0: you know what i mean yeah it's like you have this long hallway and you have all these extra doors that you're yeah. sort of creaking open for a hot second and then just leaving there that way you can come back later if you have the opportunity
1: yeah and i would and i absolutely would love to come back to this and and you know i really did like the idea of the, the next door neighbor who was the Holocaust survivor. And I had this whole scene where we didn't talk about her being a Holocaust survivor, but the way it was framed was Jasmine was pouring tea and you see Jasmine's tattoo, uh, which is the cross of Lorraine, which was a symbol of the French resistance. And you see her tattoo as she's pouring the tea. Ooh. And when the neighbor reaches for the cup, you see her numbers on her forearm. Oh, so we didn't say the words, but just by those very subtle things. And then the neighbor starts saying, I remember your mother. You look just like, like I, you have your mother's eyes and you have your father's, you know, you have your father's smile. You have your mother's eyes. But it wasn't this overt. Oh, by the way, your parents helped liberate me from a concentration camp.
0: You no. know, like you, you, you use those subtle hints to carry it on, but leave it there.
1: Yeah. Um, So so that was this this whole sort of back and forth between the two of them over this very sort of quiet pot of tea and sort of reminiscing and stuff. Um, And that was a scene that I really, really liked. But in the context of what we're doing now, it, it wouldn't fit. But if there's a way because this this older woman wouldn't be alive now with Mm -hmm. the daughters but if there's a way that we can go back you know uh and and i keep saying if the kickstarter funds but i mean the truth of the matter is that you know it does basically come down to like what we can afford to you know financially afford to create of course so you know so i would love it if this kickstarter funded really well then i can turn around and say all right let's even if it's a one shot let's do that and let's maybe add it to the, to the, the graphic novel. It, it could be a stretch goal. Exactly. So that's something that we, you know, that we're sort of talking about. Um, but this is a graphic novel. Um, it, originally it was going to be a five issue series, but then we decided when we did the Kickstarter that it was going to be one, it was going to be five chapters. So it's 120 pages okay. um, of, of story and you get the entire story in it. And even if I, you know, God forbid I never get to go back to those other story arcs, you'll still be able to get a satisfying murder mystery that's sort of, I, I, I've been describing it as like Knives Out a bit.
0: Yeah. It's
1: kind of like Knives Out, but they're not that rich. Like, they're just like working class flower shop owner. But, um, but yeah, def- it's definitely got like a Knives Out vibe of, you know, who done it, but also, you know, um, with this sort of complex
0: past. See, I'm kind, I'm I'm kind of torn because I I want I'm, I want it to be two different things. I want it to be knives out, but I also want it to be like Amazon's The Hunt, where you still <laughs> see that little bit of Nazi hunting in there while you see like trying to figure out what happened to Jasmine. So All right. Torn. Well, I
1: will tell you this: there is there is a scene where where you will see a Nazi officer get stabbed pretty damn hard
0: yes i I like i don't know why it's just ever since because i I, I love history it's one of my favorite things that i enjoy looking back at because in school it was always english and history never math and science and just the conspiracy theories and the like, like the crazy uh, he, uh, stories you hear from that era of how military advanced in like like so crazy ways, different things that happened, and you could like have so many ways of telling that in a story that you can make the like the series be even longer if you wanted to.
1: Well, I would, I genuinely would have loved to have a, a really long series, you know. Um, at one point I was in, I was in talks with, uh, with a publisher about doing, you know, a longer series, but unfortunately COVID, Um, you know, put the kibosh on that. And again, you know, I mean, so many people got, you know, I mean, COVID obviously took lives and did terrible things to, and it's still going on. mm -hmm. Um, and, and by no means am I saying, you know, oh, I lost out on a publishing thing. You know, that's, that's not. The worst of it at all and, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm thinking that is I mean that's a very privileged thing to say um uh but that that was a co- one of the circumstances that happened mm-hmm. um I would I I genuinely would like to get back to to the story and I genuinely genuinely would like to do a lot like the whole thing about Dahlia and Leif You know, the reason why Dahlia got involved in the French resistance was because her parents, she was living in Paris at the time. Her parents, her mother was Parisian. Her father was Algerian. And um, they owned a small uh, restaurant, just a little cafe. And in 1941 was when the Germans occupied Paris. Yeah. And um, there was an art. Now, there's this whole thing about, you know, the Germans first came in and at first nothing really changed. And then all of a sudden everything changed. You know, it's almost Mm -hmm. like you woke up one day and everything changed. And I was reading some historical accounts, um, through, for my research. And so in the context of the story, you know, Dahlia's in the shop in the cafe with her family, with her parents. And she's, you know, working the cafe, like you would do, you know, if your parents owned a restaurant, you would work in it. Mm -hmm. And, um, Two German soldiers get into an argument, and uh, her father gets involved to try to be like, no, 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 it's okay, you know, try and calm things down, and it gets out of hand, and her father and mother are are killed. Now, in the cafe, at that same time, as Dahlia's watching her parents be killed... There's a young woman named Georgette, and Georgette is a member of the French Resistance. But at the time, the French Resistance was not calling themselves La Résistance. They were still sort of these little pockets. And it wasn't until later in September of 1941 that they actually uh, became like a a consolidated uh, group, as opposed to these like little bits, you know, five people on this block, you know, 12 people five miles away kind of thing. So so, Dalia tries to to attack the soldier, and Georgette grabs her, and says, and you know, sort of pulls her to the side and says, "Come with me, and I'll teach you how to get revenge." And Georgette brings her into the resistance and says, "When she's ready, you know, we're this. Obviously, she's an orphan now. We need to take care of her. But when she's ready, I think she'll be an asset." And Leif was this young Swedish man who grew up on a farm in the United States, who came to the States when he was very, very young, grew up on a farm and had an accident where one of his hands had been crushed. So he could not join the military in the United States, but he felt like he had to do something. So he abandoned his family, abandoned his farm and um, jumped on a freighter and went to Europe and ends up um, sort of, you know, in his own sort of espionage kind of way um, gets into the French resistance. Um, and then Leif and Dahlia meet, they fall in love. They become part of the resistance. They're, they're actively part of it. And then when the war's over, they're the ones who say, you know, the war might be over, but our, our duty is not. Mm. And then they bring Georgette and some of the other members of the French resistance that were with them. And they sort of create this sort of new group Um, I didn't come up with a name yet, but they sort of create this new group and say, we're going to travel, we're going to find the ones who got away kind of thing. And they get married. And while they're sort of traveling from, from, you know, place to place, they end up having the twins, Jasmine and Chris, um, and they're still actively doing the things that they're doing. And Jasmine and Chris are are growing up in this multicultural, multilingual uh, environment being, you know, at a young age being raised, you know, sort of like it takes a village kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, Georgette and some of these other people, as well as their parents, are sort of raising them and teaching them kind of things. And then once Jasmine and Chris are old enough to start going on missions there on their own, they do. And then, unfortunately, in one of the missions, and Chris is killed. And that... And at the time... To- we, we talk about how Jasmine was sort of... Um, Getting disillusioned Mm -hmm. with it. And then when Chris dies, she, you know, that's, that's it. So she runs away from home. You know, she's 17 years old. She runs away from home. She gets to America. And when she, once she's in America, she's in New York and she's at the Bronx Botanical Gardens and she's looking at the flowers and this young man named Lionel Hawthorne approaches her because mm-hmm. uh, she's this, you know, beautiful, exotic looking woman. He approaches her. They start talking. He loves flowers and wants to start a flower shop. They end up falling in love, getting married, moving to New Jersey and opening this flower shop. And then they have these three daughters, uh, Rose Poppy and Violet and then we learn another tragedy that happens. And once that happens, Jasmine says, you need, you know, I need my girls to be, uh, to be trained. I need my girls to know how to defend themselves. Um, and that's what starts this story arc. So it's like, you know, it's like each each sort of like the it comes full circle, but then it starts again, almost mm-hmm. like almost like a coil of a spring.
0: What I like that you I've, know, I've it, noticed is that it's like sort of the parallel from from Gotten Home* is you kind of make the like the mother of both stories sort of still keep her history with her. Yeah, like it's gonna catch up to you at some point, whether you, you like it or not.
1: Yeah, you can't escape your past, and you can't escape like. I'm not going to say that everything is faded and that, you know, this, that, and the next thing, but, but there's a lot of stuff. You can't run away from all of it. And that's actually something that I also bring up with Poppy because, Mm -hmm. you know, Poppy ran away from home and yet with Jasmine's death, she's now back in the thick of it. And, and it's actually something that Rose says to her, you know, you can't run away from your problems. And, and Poppy responds, she says, is this about mom or is this about Derek? And, and Rose says, it's about both you know, so, I mean, your past is gonna, is gonna catch up with you. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's something that I think, you know, you can make amends as best as you can, or you can just try and live your life better. But if you did something really rotten in your past, some, it's someday it's gonna, you know, catch up to you. Um, and whether that's Jasmine or, you know, Poppy or, you know, anybody, uh, same thing with, with Lorraine in Forgotten Home. You know, mm-hmm. she thought that she could escape her past and it, it came back to bite her in the ass kind of thing. Right. Um, and I write a lot about family because as a storyteller, you want your audience to connect to your characters and to connect to the story. And the easiest way to do that is to have characters that are relatable. So if you're telling a story about family, whether it's found family, you know, family by blood or by bond, Either way, that's something that pretty much everybody can.
0: It gives people an entry point.
1: Yeah, because everybody has somebody, whether it's a sibling, a parent, an uncle, a grandparent, um, you know, a best friend, you know, like a foster family or something Mm. like that. Everybody has that and has felt that type of relationship. And whether or not they've lost it or they still have it, you can still see that and that's an easy way for people to to, to link into the characters, um, and and that's why because everybody's like, why do you always write about family? I'm like, because that's what everybody can relate to.
0: Like, it's not even that it's easy. It's more so you found the way to get at people where it hurts. You find a way yeah. to get like get them into the story whether they like it or not.
1: Yeah, and I, and and the biggest, the biggest insult because some you know somebody said, well, what if somebody doesn't like your story? So well do they not like it or they just think meh? Because the biggest insult could just be like, meh, whatever. Exactly. It, it didn't do anything to me. If somebody vehemently hates my story, then I still did my job. Mm. Because if somebody loves it, then I did my job because it, it created an emotional response. If somebody hates it, then I still did my job because it created an emotional response. And art needs to, to have some type of an emotional response. Absolutely. And if And if you just sort of shrug at it, then you didn't touch that person but if if they feel something like god oh this is the worst thing i ever read like how
0: dare you make me feel like
1: exactly then you know what then i still did my job and and the team still did their job because they made you feel something even if it was even if it was vile and you hated it it still made you feel something um you know, and I I take that as just as much of a compliment as somebody being like, "This was amazing. I loved this." Mm-hmm. You know, but again, somebody just is like, "Yeah, it didn't really do anything for me." Then I'm like, "All right, then it's not the story for you." All right. You know,
0: so. That's my piece. And it was an amazing piece. You, you like (laughs) spoke with the passion that like, when you're pitching this kind of thing to people and like you, like you even said earlier, you've been doing this all day. No, you still have that like veracity, that care that, that like your story needs to pitch it to people.
1: I, you know, I write and I create not because I want to, but because I have to like writing for me is literally a compulsion. It is an addiction. And, if I go more than, say, two days without doing any type of creative writing, um, I start to lose my mind because I I, if I feel like a, a tea kettle that doesn't have the ability to whistle. Like, I feel mm. like I'm going to explode. Um, and, and for me, it's just, it's a compulsion. I mean, whether that's emotionally healthy or not, I don't know. It sounds um, pretty healthy
0: because you're always creating new, new stories for people
1: well, that's the thing is, you know, but it's, it's really, it, it, it is who I am. It's, it's just part of what I am. It's part of my DNA. So, I mean, like, yeah, I'll talk about how tired I am of, of, you know, being on the 75th podcast this hour, but at the same time, I'll still talk about it with passion because I mean, I'm passionate about it. I mean, it's not an easy career. So you either have to be crazy or crazy in love with it. And I think of a little bit of both.
0: I mean, honestly, if you if you don't love what you're doing, what's the point? Like exactly. it's a it's a cliche, but like if you're just crazy and hungry for the money, then what's the point? If you're if you're in it like loving what you're doing, loving creating content, that's the true like love of it.
1: Let me let me tell you something interesting about comics. Go if forward. you're in comics for money, then there are a lot easier ways of making money than being in comics. That's that is the brass tacks of it. Okay. Be, be an accountant, uh, be, be a lawyer. Be, there are so many easier ways in this world to make money than creating comics.
0: Like you're actually like you're not even doing it for, the, for like for the wealth or anything. you're doing it because you care. It's like I was talking to my tattoo artist the other day and she was saying there's so many people who are in this just for the money rather than the art and it's like yeah no, you need to care about what you're doing otherwise what's the point?
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing is like, you know, I w- would I love to see a Forgotten Home anime? Absolutely. Would I Ooh. love to see a – yeah, I know. <laughs> that sounds <I> read, awesome. <laughs> you know, would I love to see um, a Deadliest Bouquet Netflix series? Absolutely. Yes. If it never happens – Fine, it never happens. I mean m three, in the past twelve years, m three's been optioned three times. Nothing ever came of it, but you know it it has been optioned multiple times. Um, if anything happens, great. i would I would love to be able to to fix the fence. You know, or get new windows for my house.
0: <laughs> hey, like if that ever happens, then by all means do so. You know,
1: you know, like that's the funny everybody's like, I'm gonna buy a new house. No, I just wanna fix my fence and I wanna get new, <laughs> and I wanna get new windows because there's there's a window that's that's you know, when it's cold out, I can definitely feel the breeze. Like that's, well, understandable, that's yeah. I, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty realistic when it comes to that. Or maybe a new dishwasher. Okay. Um, but I mean, I, I don't look at any of this as you know, getting into this to be rich and famous. I, I, you know, the amount of times that I have a conversation with my mother and if I'm disappointed or I'm frustrated about something going on in the industry, she'll literally say to me, I wish there was something that you loved more than this. <laughs> she will. Um, you know, I, I wanted to go into medicine. I I couldn't hack the grades. You know, I had a, I had a huge passion for medicine. I went to EMT school. I, I thought about doing, med- you know, doing medicine as a career. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't, I couldn't hack the grades, but I, and, and that is a passion of mine. And, and I, you know, if, if, if I didn't have such a bad shoulder, I'd probably go back to EMT school, but, um, this is something that I have even more passion for. And, um, and it's something that I have to do. And like I said, and my, my mom always says it, I wish there's something you loved more because as much as comics will break your heart, as Jack Kirby said, Um, comics are the, writing is the only thing that fulfills me.
0: Dang. So. You hit me in my heart because I love (laughs) Kirby. (laughs) Like, dang.
1: But it's true. I mean, Kirby was the one who said, comics will break your heart, kid. Um, and, and they will. But for every time that comics break, you know, okay. So, you know, the, the, in CERN, what is it called? The, the large Hadron Collider. Mm -hmm. You know, when the atoms hit each other and they cancel each other out. Yeah. And they talk about how the only way that the uh, universe could be created is if one time it didn't cancel itself out.
0: Yeah.
1: So making comics, they're going to break your heart and they're going to put your heart back together. And it's maybe it's a zero-sum game. But every once in a while, you get an extra beat of your heart before it gets broken again. And that's what you live for.
0: Do you ever see yourself getting out of it?
1: Out of the business? Yeah. Um, I would see myself, I don't know if I would continue to write comics specifically. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I might look into writing novels or I might look into writing television or film or, you know, Hey, if, if anything gets optioned and, you know, I'm lucky enough to be, you know, brought on to, to, you know, start writing that great. Um, the place that I'm at, you know, I'm, I'm going to be 44 years old next month. Uh, I don't want to start like a whole different career,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, but I think I'm going to be writing.
0: Like either way, you'll still have a pen in your hand. Oh God, yeah. Okay.
1: I'll be I'll be writing, you know. They'll be literally removing the pen from my my dead grip. Nice. Um, you know, you know, the NRA says something about you know take the gun out of my cold dead hand or whatever. We'll, take uh. the pen out of my cold dead hand. Okay. You know, and then whatever it is that I wrote, make sure. That you get that made like there's a there's literally a clause in my will to my husband saying you know where the notebooks are produce everything that you can
0: well all right we will make sure that we continue to support your content like this is sort of my wrap-up and then we'll have like the after podcast discussion before i let you go but it's like thank you for coming on here obviously you probably have done this all day but you still wanted to come on here and talk to us air panel to panel and that means a lot so thank you
1: well i i, I appreciate you taking time because as much as i take the time to talk about it you all take the time to you know give me air time and you know i mean it's time out of your life too so i thank you and i and i heard the puppy in the back being like hey
0: yeah i was, I was like trying like to, to not like, yeah that was a thing
1: it's, no it's look man, you, you have a life, you have a pup, you've got stuff to do. Like it is totally five seconds before I logged on to Skype, I was feeding the cat. So, you know, it's, it's you, please, you have your own life to live. It does not have to revolve around me blathering on for an hour about, you know, makeup stories.
0: See, <laughs> but, but the thing about it is, and like, this will be a good wrap up is like, it's a sort of like our stories are sort of similar. Where I wanted nothing more when I was in college to be like my mother and be in criminal justice. But like when I when I was younger, she would always tell me to get out of Batman land and stop and put down the comics and, and the like the Yu Gi Oh cards and what have you. And I I left comics behind for a good like three years, but, but except for everything but wikis. Like I would still keep up with the news, but like never pick up a book. And then I finally got back into it when I went to college, and I found my my true love again. I found communication because being on a mic or being in front of a computer and writing about the stuff that I love matters. And growing up, it was always the struggle of seeing like like the whole comic shop being filled with nothing but white people. I'm the one person reading like um, Falcon or Black Lightning in the corner, and it sucked so it's like now that i'm not alone in the market it shows that i can be an influence whether whether how big or small so i will continue to do this even if the dogs back barking in the background
1: but see that's the thing is like we were talking about like it's a compulsion it's something you feel like you have to do well there you go that is your thing that you have to do and it's it's it, i think about all the people in the world that don't find that And aside from not finding it, don't know or have the support of their friends and loved ones to be able to pursue it. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, in that case, we're incredibly lucky that not only did we find it, but that we were able to say, I'm going to do that.
0: Most definitely. Um So yeah yeah that that was that, that was deep you hit me in, in, like in the soul a little bit there um <laughs> uh so normally i what we do is like like what like what is your closing statement for this episode of panel to panel
1: my closing statement okay yeah. um
0: it can be about the book. It can be like like pitching, like because we can always do like like the the twitters and whatnot after the fact. But what is the closing statement that you want to leave with with people every week? Because we like we'll say so we're a local comic book shop. We'll say something funny that we've talked about. Like if you watch our mm. previous episodes. But it's like what do you want to leave people with? Like like until the next time you somehow come back.
1: Uh, I, I I came back to this um, not too long ago. I had a professor in college who's since passed away. And uh, his name was Clayton Hudnall. Mm-hmm. And after I graduated, we had communicated by email for a bit. And at the end of one email, he wrote, read books, fall in love, dream a lot. And I I thought that that was so beautiful and so poignant. And I think that that's what, what we all need to do. We all need to read some books, fall in love, and
0: dream. I love that so much. That is a great place to end. Thank you for having this discussion.
1: Thank you again thank you so much for 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 taking the time to chat with me and the cat just got up <laughs> He slept through the entire thing and he literally just got up and he's staring at me
0: That's perfect